Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. There you have it. Um, man, seeing Gemma's story, that, that hits home to me so much because um, she made the statement saying, you know, she was talking to her husband, don't tell people our story because then they'll kick us out. And I turned to Stephen, and I know a few of you laughed when she said that, I turned to Stephen and go, man, it is, it is actually like a tragedy that there's, there's still a propagated idea that for some reason, Jesus followers, Christians that will like boot people out of their community. And we, and we know where that comes from, but I just want to say, right, if you're new to church and not normally a church person, you're not familiar with the Jesus thing, and maybe, maybe you're watching online here, you somehow stumbled across our feed and so you're watching this right now. You, gotta, you have to know this about Jesus. He loves you so, so much and he loves you just the way you are. And the incredible thing about his acceptance and his love, it is the most radical change agent that you'll ever encounter. Nothing will change your life more for the better than encountering Jesus Christ. So if new to church or you're just checking this out, you are so welcome here and we're so glad you've joined us here today. And in fact, you have joined us at at, um, week number two of a great series, as Chloe mentioned, called Make It Count. And I'm so glad you're here with us. And so last week, um, we began by uh, by just two words, two simple words in order to, you know, what you've got to do to make your life count. And it was this, be present. Be what? Present. And some of you are already doing 50% of this, right? You're in the room. (laughs) But we looked at last week at how you can be in the room, but not in the room and you're not present. And some of you right now, I want to ask, come on, be present just for a moment. Some of you are watching online, but you're watching like three things online. So there's something, (laughs) Chloe's laughing her way out of the building. Okay, so there's it's amazing where we often don't make our moments count because we're just not present. We're not in the room. So we kind of began there last week. And I want to build on that from this week. And if you think about for a moment, if you take your memory all the way back to your childhood and you think about what was present when you were a kid, there were people who were present, there were voices that were present in your life. And ultimately, the people who were in your life and what you learned shaped not only what you did, but how you responded to what happened to you. And I want to bet this one, I'm going to jump out on a limb. I want to bet that one of the most... uh, prolific and loudest voices in your life actually wasn't a person. I want to bet that it was actually a movie or a story. So what I want to do, I need some feedback just for a moment. This is a crowd participation. I want you to think of your childhood or you think maybe even your teenagehood. The most, when you think of what was the most significant movie or significant story that impacted you when you were a kid and, it, and you know, like you watched copious amounts of hours and you read the story over and over again, what was it for you? Anyone from the crowd? Remember the Titans. <laughs> Who said Mary Poppins? You definitely work in theater and drama. You know? <laughs> Am I right? Who else? Forrest Gump. Yes, who's a Forrest Gump fan? Great, yeah. Life is like a what? I don't even need to talk anymore. Like, you guys, there's life. What else? Who you got? Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that's definitely not trippy. The robe. Who knows what the robe is? Okay. I don't know. Sounds awesome. Anyone else who got any, any other good ones? Ben Hur, that's good. You say Mighty Ducks? Yes, who are Mighty Ducks fan? Who said Top Gun? Yes, Top Gun. You know the number two coming out. Okay, because I feel the need. Oh my gosh, you guys are amazing at movie quotes. So, 
So for me, the film that I grew up, I must have watched, I, I burnt out this VHS. You remember your VHSs, right? I burnt this, I burnt this one out like so much. Uh, There's a film I grew up with called Airborne. Airborne. Definitely, anyone, someone's heard of it. Oh my gosh, I've never met anyone who's heard of it. That's amazing. So it's a story of, it's a story of a kid named Mitchell Guzan. He was from California and through a series of unfortunate events, he has to go live with his cousins and his uncle and auntie in Cincinnati. And if you're not familiar with the American landscape, you couldn't get two completely different worlds from California to Cincinnati. There's no waves, there's no surf, it's not warm, it's like an icebox. So this poor Californian kid has to go live with his, his uncle and aunt and his cousin Wiley. Now, without getting into all the story, because I don't want to spoil it for you, you know, you're all itching to watch it. Wiley wasn't exactly the most popular kid. Never had a girlfriend, never went on a date, where his cousin Mitchell from California was cool with the ladies and all those things. So anyway, he finally organizes him to go on a date. And Wiley's freaking out because he's like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I wear? And so there's this really cool kind of uh, a montage of a scene that goes by, funny song behind it where he tries on all these different outfits. It's very, very funny. But at the end of it, none of his outfits worked. He was trying all these outrageous outfits to try and impress the girl. And his cousin's like, nope, 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 nope. And at the end, Wiley goes, oh, I give up. To which his cousin Mitchell goes, let me give you the secret. He goes, do you know what Popeye's uh, you know, motto was? Do you guys know who, what Popeye's motto was? What was it? Who said spinach? No, that was his keystone habit. That wasn't his motto. Popeye's motto was, I am what I... Ah, so you guys did know it. So he says to his cousin, uh, he, Popeye said, I am what I am. And he goes, okay, so he's dropping like Popeye quotes, right? The wisdom of Popeye. But I remember watching that film over and over and over again. Eventually, Wiley dresses himself, behaved normally, and he got the girl at the end of the film. Amazing, right? So... I'm watching this as a kid over and over and over again. And this message really hit home for me, this idea of you are what you are. Just, just chill. Stop trying to impress everyone with what you're not. Just be yourself. And so whatever messages were present for you and whatever narrative or whatever you, you were told, whatever you were taught, it can ultimately shape not just how you live and what you do, but how you responded to what took place for you. And for me, you know, that movie was quite profound in my life. But I also, I grew up in a Christian home. And so one of the dominant Christian ideals. It was right at the beginning of the Christian narrative. In the first book of our Old Testament known as Genesis, there is this truth, this idea that you are created in the image of God. And one of the most uh, popular passages that I read, that I was read to, that I was sung, that I was prayed to, that I heard many people preach about. And if you got brought up in church, you'd have heard this a million times because it shapes so much of the, this Christian worldview in this regard. But if you're not familiar with church, you're not familiar with kind of a Bible background, King David, who lived about a thousand years before Jesus, he wrote a whole lot of songs. A lot of them are in the, a book called Psalms. And the 139th Psalm, he writes this song, and this helped shape so much of this Christian worldview that we were creating in the image of God. And here's what King David writes. It's like a song or like a prayer to God. Psalm 139. And the one verse says this. It says, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully, say this word with me, made. Your works are wonderful and that my soul knows very well. My soul knows it. So this is amazing. I got brought up with this, with this scripture read to me. I was reading it. I got told it time and time again. This was ever present in my life that I am not a, 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 you know, a random set of circumstances that kind of got pulled together out of nowhere. You just happenstance and the, the, the billions and billions and billions of chances of odds that you should never have been born. It, just, it was a fluke and you're here and you're here for no purpose. You came from nowhere and your life's just by chance so you're going nowhere. I always got told a different narrative that I wasn't a mistake, that I was made. 
then my heavenly Father saw me. And here's the thing. This is, this you've got to know this about the Christian message, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that your heavenly Father saw you before you were formed. He ordained taste for you. He saw your life and that your life was never supposed to be a random set of circumstances that equate to nothing and that you just count your days as they disappear. It's quite the opposite. Because you are made intentionally, wonderfully, on purpose, your days can count for something. And in this series, we're going with the assumption that there is a hunch, that there is a niggling away itch inside of every person, that you aren't just meant to count away your days in life, that surely there is more to life than watching your days count by, that ultimately you can make your life count for something. And right at the heart of the Christian message, indeed, that is true, that you are made in the image of God, that you are made, (laughs) that there is intention behind you, your life is not a fluke, regardless of the circumstances around your conception, whether they be good, evil, indifferent, or unknown and mysterious to you. Your heavenly Father knows you. You're in His heart and you're on His mind. And here's what's amazing. When you begin with that idea, and as David wrote, he says, you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and that my soul knows it. You find this kind of a, um, how do I put it? Like a, like a rest, a confidence in your innermost person. You learn to be, hear this word, you learn to be secure. When you learn to be secure, something remarkable happens for you. You learn that you can be yourself. As much as we talked about being present last week and how important that is to making your life count, I want to talk about what it means to be, to be yourself, to be yourself. Because if you are uniquely created and uniquely designed and uniquely seen by your heavenly Father, how easy it would be us in life to not live under the, I guess, the shadow of that knowledge or the shadow of that truth and live our lives just so insecure, worrying too much about the opinions and thoughts of our colleagues and our contemporaries to the extent that it begins to shape how we live our life. Now, of course, you should take on board wisdom. And of course, you should take on board people that you trust. And as they start to train you and to coach you, and teach, of course, you take on that. But not to the extent that it supersedes what your Heavenly Father says about yourself. And I want to speak into that part of your life for a moment today, that you can learn to be secure, to not feel like you have to live your life comparing next to everyone else and feeling like somehow, because you lack what that other person has, you lack and you don't. You have everything you need already given by your heavenly Father to you. And we are too easily coveting what isn't ours and comparing ourselves and contrasting ourselves with others, that we never stop to celebrate the beautiful mess that our own life is because we get so busy being jealous of everyone else's messes, right? So I want you for a moment, even if it's just for the next few minutes, I want you to be, to be, to like and be comfortable with the skin you're in and to just learn to be yourself. And the truth is, this is good advice simply because you need to be yourself because everyone else is already taken, right? So the, There's no spots left. You're it. So here's what I want you to do. And this is really important. If you find yourself, and I don't say this facetiously, I mean this genuinely because we all walk through this in varying degrees in our life. If you find yourself today feeling mega insecure, or maybe just um, your confidence has been shot, a whole lot of things in life have eventuated, and you are doubting everything about yourself. You're doubting your upbringing. You're doubting where you came from. You're doubting your personality, your sense of humor, whatever it might be. And you find yourself... Maybe some of you might even feel like you're in a real, real dark pit, despair. Maybe you've even you know, drifted down to despair. But wherever you are on that spectrum, here's what I want to ask you to do. We're going to start with a, a prayer I want you to add to your life. 
And you might not even be a Christian here and not sure where you stand with even God is real or how does he want to have anything to do with me. You can still pray this prayer even if you're not sure that someone else is on the other side listening, okay? But I want to invite you to pray this prayer. Every single time you find yourself in the dumps because you come face to face with a part of you that you don't like and that you don't like that about you, I want you to pray this prayer. And it's a simple prayer. It's this. It's pray, dear God, would you use this life that you've made and make it count? Use this life that you've made with the way I think, the way I'm wired, how you've knit me together. I can't control. There's a whole lot of stuff you can't control, but there's a whole lot about me we, you and I can't control, right? And you might want to be taller. You might want to be skinnier. You might want to be this or that. Or, you know, there's a whole lot that is out of our control. But what is in control is say this. All right, God, you've made me. So therefore, would you use this life that you've made and make it count, okay? Because man, it is, it is just far too easy for us to fall in a rut in life where we see only what's wrong with us and too quickly judge ourselves unqualified or disqualified from living a life truly that can count and to make a difference and to live a life that's fulfilled or to line up at all with this idea that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and somehow I am a marvelous work and your soul does not know it. It's too easy for us to fall there. So I want to speak right in that part of our lives today. And funnily enough, I want to, I think, a perfect um, um, highlight, the story for us to highlight today is actually the author of that psalm, King David, who wrote, you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. So many of you might be familiar with the story of David and Goliath. Um, you, and maybe you're not even familiar with church. You've definitely heard the analogy. It's the story of a, of a young shepherd who was a teenager, and he had his one-on-one fight with Goliath, who was a warrior, who was a giant. And so to give you some background of this story, David was the youngest of uh, seven brothers. Um, the best we can tell from the Old Testament, he was completely ostracized from his family. Can we throw up that picture? It just gives a good, this is a real photo I took. I was there, I saw this moment 3,000 years ago. So David ultimately was the younger of seven brothers. He was ostracized by his family. He was made to look after the sheep, which was like literally a job generally for the lowest uh, employee or even slaves in a family household. But here he was as a son. So I mean, his dad was embarrassed by him. And the story unfolds that Israel was at, ba- at war with uh the Philistines, and you can still visit the place where this battle took place uh, in Israel today. It's in a valley. And so the Israelites are on one top of the valley, the Philistines were on the other. And this guy, Goliath, the giant, would walk out every day and taunt the Israelites. You, you know, many of you know how the story goes. And he would say, just send me one soldier. And this was a, a famous uh, ancient way of doing battle because they were convinced that the gods would fight for them. And so you just give one man, it could save the collateral and whoever would win out of the two champions would win. But they had a problem, Goliath. Goliath was ginormous, right? So no one wanted to fight him. So every day he would go out there, threaten the Israelites, no one would fight him. David then, who was looking after his sheep, his three brothers were fighting on the front lines with the Israelite army. So his father said to him, would you go and take some supplies to your brothers? David rocks up there, sees this stalemate. Everyone knees shaking, shivering in their boots. No one wanted to fight Goliath. And David rocks up. And he sees this taking part and realizes for 40 days, not one sword has been swung. No one has, has, has taken up Goliath's challenge. And what was remarkable is uh, David gets there without any military background, not being a soldier. As far as we could tell, never swung a sword. And, and he approaches the king on his army, on his side. And this is the offer he throws the king's way when he rocks up. David said to Saul, Saul is the king. He said, listen, let no one lose heart. Everyone's fearful. Everyone's losing heart on account of Goliath, on account of this Philistine. 
Your servant David, because it's very normal for people to talk in the third person. Your servant David will go and fight him. Now, this, this part about David, you've got to get, because this is you, right? Because there is something in the world that everyone else is fearful of and loses heart over, but not you. You're energized by it. You hear people complaining about certain things, but for you, you're like, like, let me at it. <laughs> David rocks up, sees the whole Israelite army scared that David was energized. David was fired up. And here's an important point that I want to begin with today about what it means to be yourself and to be comfortable in the skin that God has given you is usually, this is important, the things in life that do fire you up are usually a cue as to where God is asking you to make it count. The things that fire you up, the things that kind of stir up your sense of injustice. Now, you know, you and I, we are bombarded with, you know, great causes and messages and people sent up on their soapboxes. I'm one of them, right? And saying we should be passionate about this and we should get on board with that. And there's other things you see people get fired up at. And you're like, uh, that's good. You're into that. God bless you, you know, cool. But it just doesn't, it doesn't float your boat. But there's other things that like, it's like, let me at it, right? That is, that's usually a cue. That's usually a cue. That's you. And your heavenly father has uniquely wired you with the way you think and how you view the world. He's uniquely wired you because maybe it's in that area that you were called to make it count. What's interesting is when David turns up and he's like excited and excited, everyone else is fearful. Everyone else is insecure. Everyone else has lost their confidence. And we more relate to everyone else. We so often don't see ourselves as David. We can more relate to everyone else because there is just so much in our lives we can get insecure and fearful over. There's just, there's, I mean, there's truckloads for you and I. And the, the biggest tragedy of that is as much as you and I can relate and a part of us, and maybe you're watching at home and you can relate to this as well. And part of you is going, I do feel as though I want to make my life count. And I tend to lean into the belief that, yeah, I shouldn't just count away my days, just count them away. I should make my days count for something great. But yet we never get the chance to face a Goliath, something that matters, something that's going to make a difference, something that's going to leave a legacy. We often never, ever get the chance to even make it count because we stumble at much shorter stumbling block before we even get there. And the same thing happened to David. So David turns up, right? And before he ever faced Goliath or anything else happened, the first person David encountered, funnily enough, was his big brother. Hey, big brother, how you doing? Eliab, this is his brother. This is what happened. He first rocks up. So Eliab's older brother, he heard how David was going, oh, take on Goliath, right? So he rocks up. He heard him speaking to the men. And he burned with anger at him. <laughs> he said, why have you come down here? Now, this is interesting to me, okay? Because supposedly he hated his younger brother. You would have thought this is a good opportunity because he's like, hang on. Okay, if my brother fights Goliath and loses, then no more younger brother. He should have been stoked. And here's the other thing. The king had put out like an incentive for people to fight Goliath. Like, number one, if you fight Goliath, you can marry my attractive daughter, right? But still no one did it. Number two, he's like, I will never make you pay taxes ever again. Still no one did it. And he's like, your whole family can be exempt from taxes. Still no one wanted to do it. David rocks up and goes, you mean I can marry the king's daughter so I can be in the royal family and me nor my family ever have to pay taxes again? Like, that's right. He's like, I'm going to fight him, right? So Eliab, you should have been like, I can't lose here. If he, if he loses, no more younger brother. If he wins, no more taxes. But anyways, he says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Goes on. Next slide. He says, <laughs> I know how conceited you are. I know what you're like. 
I know what you're really thinking. I know you better than you know yourself. And how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So here's the thing. Before David even got to the battle, it was his first confrontation. Accusations. I know what you're like. You got the worst motive. I know why you're really here. You're the most selfish. You're the most... Before you and I ever have to confront the battles that really count, we have all these kind of skirmishes beforehand. And if you're not careful, you can find yourself spending your whole life in the skirmish of accusations and never getting the chance to be who God created you to be and to fight the Goliaths that you were born to fight because you care too much about what other people are saying about you. Be yourself. Now, again, again, just to clarify, this isn't to to disqualify wisdom and this isn't to disqualify people in your life, like your big brothers who love you and want to speak into your life. But every now and again, we'll get Eliabs who will accuse you. And when you're wanting to do something significant and make it count, they're going to be so... So here's the thing. You will never, ever, 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 ever shut up Eliabs. They're always going to be talking. But as a side, I want to say this to you. How often are you an Eliab to someone else? You find yourself always telling someone why it can't be done or why they're not old enough or they're not young enough or they're not this. So can I just... Can I just put it out there for us, particularly if you're a Jesus follower. If you're not a Jesus follower, you can take this as an, as an option. But if you're a Jesus follower, you get no escape card, okay? We should never be Eliabs. In fact, we should be exactly the opposite. In fact, our dream and our heart that as a church community, this would be the most encouraging, uplifting, inspiring community anywhere on the planet. And so when people come into our community, everywhere they've doubted themselves, they're all of a sudden like, these people believe in me. These people love me. Maybe I can be who God has created me to be. Okay, I'm glad you guys clap at that. If there's anything worth clapping at, I'm glad some of you agree with that. Cool. So there's Eliab. Then it doesn't end there. Before he gets to Goliath, he then gets to the king. He's like, king, king, king. So just guaranteed, no taxes, me and my family and my brother. And, and I get your daughter. Sweet. And he's like, bring it on. So this is how his conversation goes with the king, Saul. So Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Watch this. So then Saul dressed him in his own tunic. That's not weird. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. So David fastened his sword, this is Saul's sword, over the tunic. And he tried walking around. Why did he try walking around? Because he was not used to that. He wasn't a soldier. He didn't fight in armor. It's definitely not Saul's armor. He was a shepherd. He carried a sling. Couldn't handle it. It goes on. He said, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached Goliath. Before David even had the chance to confront Goliath, to make his life count, he had to, there were contending voices he had to fight with first. And it's the same for you and I. There will always be contending voices. Eliab's accusations and Saul's expectations. Saul's saying, you've got to do it this way. This is the rhythm of life. And, you know, we do it even subtly sometimes. We, we try and wear Saul's armor, as it were. It's like, well, Saul has bought that. Maybe I need to buy that. Well, Saul has kids like that. So maybe I need to have kids like that. Well, Saul, whatever it is, stop trying to fight your battles wearing someone else's armor, right? We can too easily look at what other people's definition of success is or influence or making it count. But that's theirs. And here's the thing. Your heavenly father has graced them to do what their grace to do. You'll always be frustrated trying to do what someone else's grace to do because you're not them. You're you. He'll grace you to do. And so often we go, why isn't God doing this for me? Why? You're asking God to do things for you that he's like, I want to do it for them. Ask me to do for you what I want to do for you. In high school, we had a word for this or two words. We had a term for this. It was known as peer pressure. You guys remember that term? Some of you in high school, you probably know it. Peer pressure. 
Most of the bad decisions I would bet on in your life and I know it for my life, most of the bad decisions I made and times I got in trouble weren't because of my better judgment, usually because of my bad judgment, because the advice I took from peers. And when I knew inside of me what my convictions were, what my values were in the same way you have convictions and values, in order though to wear their armor, to fit in, be part of the crowd, you'll do things you actually never wanted to do in the first place. But as much as we recognize that in our younger years, the truth is we're humans all our life and there can constantly be this pressure to want to fit in and be homogenized like everyone else rather than to stand out. I, uh, man, I still recall from high school, there was this one instance where, oh, you put it up there already. Yes, your life was not made to just fit in. It was also made to stand out. There's the point. In high school, there was one time where all the guys for sport, we went to a boxing gym, right? And it was like a chance to box and have sparring. And so not all the guys were going to do it, obviously, because some dudes love boxing, others didn't. I was in the ladder. So, but still all the boys were like, come on, John, just one fight, just one fight. It'll be so good, it'll be so good. I'm like, ah. And obviously inside of me, I was, no, I'm not a boxer. Like, do, I don't, I know nothing. Who's with me? I know nothing, right? Like nothing, nothing. Just, I just don't box. And there's one guy who boxed and they're like, fight him, fight him. And of course I came into the peer pressure. So I'm like, okay, okay. So it was two two-minute rounds. I get in the first round and never in my life have I ever been manhandled like that. I lost count of how many haymakers to the head that my head received. I mean, it was the worst beating I ever got in my life. And finally the bell went. I'm there on the ropes at the end of my corner. The, the ref comes up to me and goes, mate, did you just want to call it after one round and stuff? But all the guys are hanging over the, the um, you know, the, the ropes going, come on, Jerry, do it again, do it again, do it again, hit him again, you know, I was like, I could not do it, right, I, had to look, I couldn't let the boys down, so I went in, can I just say, there is nothing more fearful in life than going into two minutes of a boxing match knowing there's nothing you can do about it, right, <laughs> it was single hand, now that knocked me out for a month, I was not right for a long, long time, in fact, some of you are going, well, that kind of makes sense, actually, now that it's not right, but here's, here's my point, right, and I mean, we had the slide up just before, is this, and the point is, your life wasn't just made to fit in. It was made ultimately to stand out. And here's the thing. How easily, how easily for David, right? He could have blended in. And he could just go on with all what all the peers said. He was just a shepherd. He wasn't a soldier. You, all you do is look after sheep. You just protect sheep from the elements. And you just, put, you know, you're not a soldier. You can't fight. You can't be someone important. You can't make it count. All you're supposed to do is just keep sheep from getting eaten by the wolves and the lions and the bears. That's all you do. That's all you do. But David saw it a radically different way than what everyone else saw. In fact, his conclusion about how he saw his life was so different how everyone else saw his life. And you and I need to learn something about this. This is what he says in verse 36. This is, I absolutely love this. He says when everyone was saying, you can't do it, you know, you're not a fighter. He said, your servant, again, third person, your servant has killed both the lion and I've killed bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine, meaning Goliath, will be like one of them. So when everyone thought he was disqualified from being a soldier because he only killed lions and bears, David saw it radically different. He was like, I kill lions. I kill bears. If you're going to go on a street fight with anyone and one dude there fights lions and bears, who are you putting your money on to win the street fight? So, so David is seeing every, what everyone else disqualified him and said, you're disqualified from making it count. He was like, I'm uniquely qualified to make it count. Lion and bear, a human, easy fodder. Here's the point. Wow, I got really violent. Here's my point. God, this is amazing about God. He redeems your characteristics that the world rejects. God redeems your characteristics that the world rejects. And those parts of you that you are so quick to disqualify about yourself to say, well, I've just got to fit in. And, this, and maybe, maybe it's even parts of you, to be honest, that you're embarrassed by or ashamed of. And you've never felt like 
You've never felt comfortable in your own shoes. You've always felt like you've struggled to fit in. And so you always feel like you've got to prove yourself next to other people. And just, here's the thing. Stop trying to please people. Just stop it. Just stop it. You have to understand God loves you so much. And He does an amazing, amazing work at redeeming those parts of you that you would think could people have rejected you, the world rejected you, and you think they can't count for anything. Your father says 100% they can count. And here's the point, and here's what we learn from David. To overcome the rejection of man, you need to know that you're accepted by God. Okay? Just as you are, your heavenly father sees you, your heavenly father loves you, your heavenly father knows you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And maybe your soul doesn't know it. And maybe, maybe even from your childhood, right? You never had anyone tell you that your life was important and your life mattered. Maybe they didn't say it with those words. Maybe it's just by the neglect. Or maybe it were those words. Maybe you never had a parent in your life who spoke words into you saying your life matters and your life is gonna be extraordinary. And so maybe you've grown up insecure, waiting for that affirmation. But I wanna tell you right now that your heavenly father sees you and your natural father or natural mother might not have said this, but when your heavenly father sees you, he says, you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. Your life counts. And you need to know that because in order to handle the accusations from Eliab's and to handle the expectations from Saul, you need to know the approval of your heavenly father. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And for some of you, you need to hear that. Your soul has been so rattled by failure. You've been, you look in the mirror and sometimes you feel so disgusted and sometimes you feel so embarrassed. Your heavenly father, when he looks at you, he feels pride. He feels adoration. He loves you. you he says, you're my boy, you're my girl. And you've got to know this because when you know this, you're able to find so much security in your life that you have no problem in being yourself. It's amazing. We see this from David. He approaches Saul. And when Saul's questioned about this, this is his reply to Saul. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the poor of the lion, poor of the bear, he'll do the same with this guy. His confidence was in his God. And then to Goliath, he's finally standing in front of Goliath. And Goliath is challenging him, threatening him. He says to Goliath, you came against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. David's confidence and security wasn't simply in his abilities as much as he had them. His security wasn't in his experience as much as he had it. I mean, the guy was killing lions and bears. That's pretty impressive, right? Ultimately, his confidence rested in where he placed his trust and where his faith was. And his faith was placed in God. And you can do that too. Maybe, maybe you lean on the side when, when you're faced with the parts of you that you don't like. Maybe you lean to one or two sides. You lean on the, the insecure side where you're like, I'm not as good as anyone else. I'm not as qualified as anyone else. I'm, I'm not compared to anyone else. I'm no one, everyone else, everyone else, everyone else. Or maybe you lean the other side. You go to the superiority side and you start going, I'm better than everyone else. And oh, you start comparing yourself next to people. Actually, I'm better and better and better. Everyone else, everyone else, everyone else. Security, find yourself right in the middle where the accusations of people they don't knock you off your feet. You don't find yourself having to compare yourselves and be better than others. You're perfectly secure because you know who you've placed your trust in. And the reason this is so important is before you and I can conquer any of the battles out there, the Goliaths out there, the, mazes, the massive things that you and I know we want to make count, before we can conquer any of the battles out there, we must win the battle in here. 
where our truest battle always lies, the seed of your security or the insecurity that we have. Because if you don't settle it on the inside of you, if you don't find, as David said, my soul knows this, I'm made, I'm fearfully, wonderfully made, and my soul knows it. In the absence of finding that kind of security and having that kind of peace on the inside of you, you will constantly be trying to fix everything on the outside of you to get your security. And you'll be clawing at other people to get your security. And you're putting unrealistic expectations on other people to get your security. You feel like if I just get more money, then I'll be secure. If I just get that better job or just get a job, I'll be secure. If I just lose weight, I'll be secure. If I finally grow my hair back, I'll be secure, whatever it might be. And it can go even deeper to that. Some of you think like, if I change partners, then. If I change my gender, then. And we will constantly clawing for external things to find my security. The truth is the security you're looking for is not external, it's internal. And the security you're looking for is found in the promise of your heavenly Father. He has given us the promise of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave His life for you because you're valuable, not because you're worthless. Jesus gave His life for you because you're seen, not because you're hidden. And you didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to change yourself. You didn't have to make yourself qualified. Jesus said you're already worthy of loving. And He gave His life for you. And so really the only question left to ask here is this. And this is what we're gonna finish on today. Is where do I find my ultimate security? Where do you? You don't have to answer this out loud, but I want you to like be, be honest in yourself for a moment. Are you finding yourself putting your security in so many changeable circumstances, but yet you've never ultimately put your security in the one who never changes, in the one whose love for you never falters and never shifts. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.